0: This podcast is intended for UK and Ireland healthcare professionals only. It is my pleasure to welcome you to series two and episode two of the ILD Academy Spotlight Podcasts brought to you by Boehringer Ingelheim. Featuring prominent members of the UK and Ireland interstitial lung disease community, these podcasts hope to shine a spotlight on the great work being done around the country and break down some of the challenges facing us in delivering excellent care to our patients. My name is Dr. Anne-Marie Russell, a clinical academic at the University of Exeter Respiratory Institute and Royal Devon and Exeter NHS Foundation Trust. And I have a special interest in patient-reported measures and outcomes in interstitial lung disease and patient-centred approaches. Joining me on today's episode is Dr. Pilar rivera ortega a respiratory consultant with a speciality in interstitial lung diseases and the clinical and research lead of the ILD unit at the Northwest Lung Centre with Insure Hospital Manchester University NHS Foundation Trust. Welcome, Pilar.
1: Thank you very much, Aunt Mary, and thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to our
0: conversation and I wondered, Pilar, if I could start by asking you a little bit about your multiple roles in interstitial lung disease before we maybe then shift to focus a bit more on the work that you do as the lead of the familial interstitial pneumonia clinic in the Northwest region. So just a, a little bit about you and, um, and and your background in interstitial lung disease.
1: Sure, so I did the ILD fellowship at Bell Beach Hospital in Barcelona, Spain. And I finished that fellowship in May 2016. And my mentor was Dr. Maria Molina Molina, who is a key opinion leader in telomere Shortening Syndrome and ILDs overall. In this ILD, especially Centra, of course, we had a familial ILD clinic, which is carried out by Dr. Planas and led by Dr. Molina and alongside other members of the team. And they I think is they perform a comprehensive consultation, family tree, information about genetic tests and studies and the sample collection. So from that time that I think I started the fellowship in 2015 and I finished in 2016. And then I was working as an honorary ILD specialist at Bervice Hospital in Barcelona. Since then, my interests relate to genetics on ILD and specifically telomere shortening syndrome, started. Then in December 2017, I came to Manchester, and I think I started as a respiratory consultant. And then I think it's alongside my colleague, Dr. Stefan Stanel. At that time, he was a clinical fellow. Currently, I think he's another physician and research fellow. We started the familial interstitial pneumonia clinic, and that... um, in terms of research aspect that starts at the beginning of 2019 and after a business case, a standard of care and research that start at the end of 2019. And that is basically, I think, is the background related with IID and specifically my interest uh, associated with genetics on ILD. Yeah,
0: thank you, Pilar. Fascinating. I know you work uh, incredibly hard and um, you've driven um, a lot of of changes within the service. But thinking perhaps now specifically about familial IPF and the diagnostic and prognostic pathways, could you give us some background information on the role of your work around telomere length and the importance of telomere length in the therapeutic management of patients with interstitial lung disease?
1: Absolutely. Um, In terms of how the clinic is performing at the moment at Goodenshire Hospital, so we have a clinic for familial interstitial pneumonia. Um, The consultation model is like the one carried out in Barcelona during my time in Spain. But uh, in that case, the sample for genetic testing is uh, blood, it's not a vocal swab. That is the sample validated in Spain. Um, Until early this month, April 2022, the samples were sent to a biobank that is part of an NIHR bioresource rare disease phase one project. And all patients after the consultation were referred to the Manchester Centre for Genomic Medicine for genetic counselling and additional sample collection if necessary. So um, the results and their clinical significance are discussed in a multidisciplinary way with the Manchester Centre for Genomic Medicine staff, and I think it's with them unless with the patients. So that is more or less what we are doing at the moment in the clinic. But now in terms of that clinical implication or importance, so let's start from the basics, uh, As everybody knows, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is the most prevalent fibrosis interstitial and disease and with the worst prognosis. The term familial pulmonary fibrosis is defined when it occurs in two or more individuals from the same family. And it's in in this context that the first studies and clinical trials, and more, more, I think, is a cohort pair, especially centrals, started the the studies. that is start the point to telomere alterations, even if it's telomere shortening or telomere dysfunction that we put under the umbrella of telomere alterations were recognized as a risk factor for pulmonary fibrosis. So in what sense that could be a risk factor? It could be a risk factor because when we have a measure that is very short, we will have a length of the telomere that is short and that can a trigger i think is uh, that permanent shutdown of the cells or the senescence or apoptosis and after that of course that accelerate telomere shortening i think it is associated with premature aging and of course that includes many organs such as the lung and that, of course, is a consequence, we can have an abnormal tissue repair and that resulting in pathogenic consequence. And one of these pathogenic consequences could be the pulmonary fibrosis. So even if it's an idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis with family aggregation, that in that case we have put possible familial pulmonary fibrosis or a sporadic idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, but if we have a mutation on the telomere-related genes, that could be associated, of course, with the worst prognosis or more active behaviour of the disease. And, of course, that have clinical implications in terms of the treatment and if the patient will be referred for transplantation. So that, in short, could be more or less clinical implications to know if a patient can have a mutation that could be associated with his or her disease.
0: That's really interesting. Thank you, Pilar. I, it's just um, made me um, think and, and reflect on um, some some of my own patients and, and possibly thinking particularly of, of women who maybe started out with a, a diagnosis of, um, of hypersensitivity pneumonitis or CTD, ILD, and, and then evolved to subsequently have a diagnosis of, of IPF. Do you think that um, it would be helpful in those sorts of cases, to be able to do telomere work?
1: Absolutely. I think it's what we should do is to try to customise the cases and personalise the medicine. And the example that you just mentioned is a clear one of that. So now I think it's um, that as part of the concept as well, for example, in progressive in ILD, not only about IPF. So Nowadays, we are in a trend to think that it's not a matter if we have a cause of the ING. Maybe we have a cause, for example, in connective tissue diseases associated with ING. Maybe we have a well-identified antigen for a chronic hypersensitivity pneumonitis, or maybe we are talking about uh, the most common and worst prognosis, fibrosing condition like IPF or other type of IIP. But if these patients have certain type of characteristic or features that can uh, raise the concern about the possible genetic component, in that case, I think those patients should be referred to the genomic medicine locally or regionally. So to put an example, what type of features, for example, we need to look for, And now I think it's not only about in case of family aggregation. If we have a relative with an interstitial disease, it's not necessarily the same type of disease that the index case has. For example, if the patient uh, has IPF, but maybe the relative has fibrotic NSIP, it's a family aggregation and if an IET member. So in those cases, only for that, I think the patient should be referred. I think it's to a... I think, genomic centra for some genetic tests. But in case of no family aggregation, if a patient is under 50 years old and have an idiopathic interstitial pneumonia, IIP, in that case, the patient should be referred for genetic testing or in case of any clinical suspicion of telomere shortening syndrome, for example, premature hair graying under 25 years old or premature menopause under 45 years old, of course, not for surgical cause. Uh, In the case of unexplained hematological abnormalities, special interest in any type of uh, bone marrow failure, myelodysplasia, or I think it's typical non-specific abnormalities anemias but not related with any specific cause or unexplained liver function abnormalities or cryptogenic cirrhosis, or patients with non-specific autoimmune abnormalities Um, or in case of any specific family history for conditions that we know that are related to genes that could be affected as well the lung. For example, family history of congenital dyskeratosis uh, or I think it's a plastic anemia. In those cases, I think it's, that could be really important to refer the cases to a genomic medicine. And now with, I think, since this month that we can... I think it's detailed later on what is the implication about the National Genomic Test Directory that just was published this month. I think is nowadays have even more importance and specifically in those patients that we are thinking about to refer them for lung transplantation.
0: And, and and of course, um, lung transplantation very important in familial IPF because the patients tend to be presenting earlier and certainly under the cut off age range when they would be eligible for lung transplant.
1: Definitely, definitely, Um also not only I think it's to, at the time that we we'll refer the cases to lung transplantation. If we put a step back, even during that diagnostic pathway, if we have the clinical suspicion that the patient will have a genetic component or the patient already has a family aggregation, therefore is a high suspicion of familial fibrosis, we should try to avoid any invasive tests, for example, lung biopsy. Why? Because these patients have an abnormality or an alteration in terms of tissue repair. And so I think it's rather than to use a test to clarify and help us in terms of the establish a high diagnosis eh, in an MDT that cause uh, a problem and a damage to the patients. So I think it's, we now, I think it's so, even... We don't have at the moment an international guidelines related to when we can add specifically the genetic testing. But uh, currently, we have an ERS task force, the finger crossed, maybe I think it's in this ERS in September in Barcelona. We can have some news about that um, to redesign overall the classification, the diagnostic pathway. And also to consider this a dynamic process. It's not only at the time of the diagnosis or when we decide to refer to lung transplantation. It's basically all the time and to ask the questions and reassess the patients constantly during the follow-up visits as well. And and so could I
0: ask you, Pilar, about the the availability um, within the clinical setting of, of TELomere testing in the UK at the moment?
1: Yes, of course, absolutely. So, as I said before, since this month, April 2022, has been key for this field because the genetic tests for familial pulmonary fibrosis have been incorporated into the National Genomic Test Directory. Specifically, we have a code that is the R421. So in this code, I think its criteria are any patient with idiopathic interstitial pneumonia under 50 years old should be referred or can be referred if the patient wants, of course, to a genomic medicine locally or in case of family history of ILD. And that is regardless the cause or association of the ILD or in case of suspected telomere complex mutation or telomere shortening syndrome that we discussed just a few minutes ago, what the characteristics or clinical features are. So in those cases now, I think it's since this month and that would take place, I think it's just was I think it was a few days ago. So now I think is we will work, I think it's more comprehensive and I think it's a holistic approach and together regional that means every part in the UK community region will have equal access and also I think it's all these tests available in selected cases. Again, I want to remind that that doesn't mean that we should refer all diabetic patients for this test. It's not, I think, it's, a, it's, it's not a good measure, it's not productive, and also it's not cost-effective. It's basically selected cases with those characteristics that I think is for the patient will have a strong impact in terms of the prognosis, the timely treatment, and also the study potentially to the relative that they cannot have any disease at that time. But if they have the same mutation, Potential in the future, they can develop a disease. So, in relative, maybe we need to start as well some recommendations about uh, minimize or reduce risk factors. For example, environmental factors, smoking, consumption, among others.
0: And you mentioned before pillar um, genetic counseling, which is is obviously very important um, in familial conditions for which there is no curative treatment. Um, presumably, genetic testing is something that would just be available at the specialist centres.
1: Yes, I think it's... Well, currently, I think we have a network that is just from this month, as I said before. So currently, is we have a central could be a district general hospital. Uh, I think it's a small hospital, but if they have a case that could be a suspected ILD, they should refer this case to the referral centra or the ILD specialist centra. And that, of course, is overall to establish a high confidence diagnosis after an MDT and start timely treatment. And for these centras as well, they can directly refer the patient to the genomic medicine centra Locally, I think we have, as far as I know, four largest. I think it's one that they have, I think, an area to cover. And then I think it's, of course, we need to specify what the characteristics are that the patients are, I think, are meeting to be referred. And then I think it's a specific test after genetic counseling would be performed. And then I think it's the next step will be when the results are back because after the proper interpretation of that is to try 25 those variants are uh, pathogenic variants, that case mutation and that could be related to the ILD that the patient have, or that could be only incidental findings that we don’t know what the implications could be. So that is at the moment how the network, works is basically I think it's from the IOD specialist centre ideally should we refer to I think is the genomic medicine regionally and but I think it's now to take that as an example what could be in the future because even in our centre we need to change our standard um, flowchart based on this new directory. And the next step, I think, is we definitely need to have a meeting with the members, in my case, in the Manchester Centre for Genomic Medicine, and to process the previously collected samples that we have on the BioBank and uh, restructure our flowchart, as I said. And maybe it's the time to start the joint consultations with the genetic counselor, the genetic consultant and the IRD consultant. And I think that could be extremely helpful. And also, I think, I think it's overall a new and interesting era is about to begin in the UK um, for this type of rare diseases. And we need to be aware and ready for that.
0: I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think we are in very exciting uh, times in, in, in many, many regards. Um, but just thinking, obviously, you have a, a, a special interest in familial IPF. I, I suspect historically cases ha- have been missed uh, in, in decades gone by due to uh, lack of a awareness and understanding. Um, I, I think that knowledge level is improving and I know that we really struggle in collecting epidemiological data, and, and often that's retrospective when we're looking at in incidence and prevalence. And we're, we're to some extent always playing catch up. This may, may not be a fair question, but I'm just wondering in the northwest region if you have a feel for how many cases you're picking up of familial fibrotic lung disease as a percentage of the patients you see, perhaps, and uh, you know approximately.
1: Yes, yeah, that's a really good question, Anne-Marie. I don't know if I have the <laughs> the correct answer, because, <laughs> but I can tell you more or less from uh, the end of 2019 when we started that clinic. But suddenly, of course, as everybody knows, the pandemic just started. We had, I think, is a, that period where we couldn't perform I think the clinic. And we restarted by telephone at that time in October 2020 when I think it's, of course, all the face-to-face consultations were forbidden due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, then I think it's a, from last year, we restarted at the end of last year, the face-to-face consultations with our patients, because to be absolutely honest, it's, it's quite a challenge to try things to express everything that we want to the patient through the form and to do the FEMB3 through the form performing, we did it, but it was a challenge, and of course the empathy and the uh, interaction between health professionals and the patient of course is not the same, especially uh, during the first visit of the familial interstitial pneumonia through the form, but that were the circumstances that we need to work through. So I think it's uh, at that time, I think we started, so I could say that since October 2020 that officially was the first telephone consultations and then since the last four or five months we are performing face to face at telephone. So I think we have around 60. I think it's a patient or familial interstitial pneumonia and that is only within your cohort. Yes. So I think if one specialist centra can have that I'm absolutely sure and if we can extend, I think, is that, I think, is that convocatory in the knowledge and to promote as well the, the teaching sessions, such as, for example, I think it stands for across genomic education program, health education in England, or training for all NHS staff or I think it's a national or international side of rare diseases courses with focus on genetics, things like this. I think it's, maybe I think it's that the numbers will increase because as soon as we create awareness, um, the health professionals will have the knowledge. It's basically we will know exactly what we are looking for. And maybe the cases were there for a while, but unless we know what we are looking for, it's different to identify them
0: yeah no absolutely and and you said that you're going to um, s- start some work on processing previously collected samples which um of of course will will have uh, an impact on, on on the um on understanding i i guess more about the the, the prevalence of, of familial IPF um and and you also spoke to a, a future where there is a, a much more uh, cohesive approach with the IRD specialist and the specialist genomics team, and and I, I I'm picking up from what you're saying as we now coming out of of the pandemic years that that's something that is 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 either starting to happen or is is within arm's reach of of, of happening for future care of our patients.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now we need an integrative and multidisciplinary approach. We are well familiarised in iid about the joint clinics with, for example, the rheumatologists. Now I think we have joint clinics for many aspects, but with the genomic medicine staff, I think genetic counselors, um, clinical genetic consultants, we, I think, we have... Have some type of relation, a professional relationship in the past, but now we need to, to integrate. But uh, we need to start our IOD MDTs based on genetics. And that is before and definitely would be after the results. And oh, that will be, I think, a bi directional learning curve because they need to learn more from us in terms of IOD and we need to learn a lot from them. And what is my feeling? To be absolutely honest, is every time that you acquire more knowledge and skills, you realize more about your limitations. That is what I am experiencing at the moment. More I learn, more I acquire, more I notice. Oh, I think it's like just at the beginning, and that is a long way. It's excited, and it's it's really important. I think is to to be aware of that because constantly the knowledge is changing, and more and more I think is papers are coming out as well as. Uh, national, international projects but I think it's, we need to be aware of that, that we need a constant updating. in the of the knowledge and the skills and then I think maybe that could be a good opportunity not only for physicians, definitely we need our specialist nurses, specialist pharmacies, among other health professionals to be involved and maybe to create a type of centers, especially centers for familiar cases and to create such a sub a specialist program or something. I think is that that could be interesting. And it's not, I think, it's a, in, in any country at the moment, specifically like this. We have problems about IND, but not about familial interstitial pneumonia. I have that in mind. I have to say I I think, it's of course, we need these resources, time, facilities and now with that the change in April 2022 with that directory, we have a lot of of things to do, but that is something that we would like to do. And which I say we, is of course, all the, the colleagues, I think is that are involved of that. It's not on myself, of course, not. Um, I think it's, and of course, we want, I think is as well to start with that programme, provide all the knowledge, to integrate with the basis with the patients, to monitor that, participate on the joint iat MDT with genomic medicine staff, and gradually, I think it's maybe to create the first, I think it's like a program that could be potentially a regional or national program on familial interstitial pneumonia. I don't want to say only familial pulmonary fibrosis because we're talking about only a certain type of disease. Familial interstitial pneumonia could be a little more broad terminology. Um, yeah, that is an idea. And of course, more than welcome to receive, I think it's a suggestions, comments, and working together absolutely sure that we we can do it and that could be great.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, Pilar. And I'm sure that people who are listening to this recording will be contacting you enthused about the possibilities and how we can improve care for those with, with familial IPF. I've enjoyed our conversation very much. It's been incredibly insightful. And I thank you for taking the time and for stimulating thoughts and future action so that we do all continue to learn more in this rapidly changing field of interstitial lung disease. Thank you, Pilar.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. It was, again, as I said, a pleasure to be here. Um, I think that's just at the beginning and the future looks promising. Thanks again, and we will work together on this.